You're listening to the Southern Solstice Podcast with me, Sarah Sadler. Welcome back to Southern Solstice Podcast. I took a couple of weeks off. Um, I was sick, but also I had just overcommitted myself. Um, being a self-published author means you really have to stay on top of yourself. And I have already missed one of my deadlines that I was kind of hoping for for book two. But at the same time, you don't want to push the creative process. Um, and with me, I mostly book write during my son's nap time. So I don't always have all of the time that I would like or need, but I work with what I get and I knew that I needed to take a little bit of time to just try and bulldoze through the last few chapters. So that's what I'm doing. I am hoping to release book two end of summer or early fall, and I will definitely keep everybody updated on that. I fell in love with the writing process while I was writing Southern Solstice, and as someone who didn't originally set out to be a novelist, I'm still surprised at how much I love it and how much I feel like I am myself the most when I'm writing. So it's been such an amazing, surprising experience and journey for me. And the fact that I have people waiting for new episodes of the podcast from the first book means so much. So thank you again for listening. If you want to read my blog this week, sarahsadler.com, I'm going to be blogging a little bit about some inspiration that my chickens, Annie and Clarabelle, gave me this week. They have stopped laying eggs for the past two weeks, mostly because I think they just don't feel like it. And I think that that is a beautiful reflection of how they are metabolizing their environment. So I'm going to write a little bit about my thoughts on all of that and how important I think it is. And we're going to get a little bit cerebral on the blog. But without any further ado, Chapter 6, Phantoms. Six weeks had passed since Larkin had returned home from Seattle. She was beginning to feel like an inferior version of her old self now, slowly readjusting to the slower pace of Charleston and finding a rhythm in her day-to-day life at home. She occasionally caught herself enjoying simple things again, a morning walk to Waterfront Park, running errands with Bart, cooking lessons with Lil, and late-night porch talks with Bunny. Her mind, weakened by a helpless state of sleep, would dream of David's house. In some dreams, she'd just stand outside, watching his shadow move inside. In other versions of the dream, she'd find a house key and let herself in, trying not to be found out. All versions made her feel empty and lost. Charleston was in full blossom now. The first of many annual festivals celebrating blooming flowers were underway, and brightly colored window boxes draped wave petunias and lobelia down house fronts. A blanket of warm salt water and gardenias perfumed the streets, intensifying with the unpredictable coastal breeze. A week after the unfortunate knife accident, Larkin returned to the hospital to have her stitches removed. She was filled with irrepressible disappointment when an expressionless, middle-aged nurse walked in to perform the procedure. Somehow, she knew it was not as pleasant of an experience as it would have been if Dr. Miles had been there to do it. She ran into Nurse Jenkins on the way out of the exam room and asked, as casually as possible, if there had been any phantom doctor sightings. Nurse Jenkins shook her head, apologetic for not knowing more. Larkin, then feeling ridiculous for wearing three-inch heels and a silk halter dress in hopes of seeing Dr. Miles, walked briskly outside where she cried for five minutes. 
Bart pretended not to notice the smudged mascara when he arrived to pick her up, and they rode silently back to the Ashby house. Jackson extended his New York trip after the stock market took a tumble, but he called Larkin as promised to let her know he was still looking forward to getting reacquainted when he returned. She hoped he meant it in the most platonic of ways. Larkin was also spending most nights in her own room in the main house now. She was easily persuaded to stay in the carriage house, though, when Lil presented the offer of late-night bananas foster a blanc-mange. Larkin listened for hours as Lil retold stories of when she first met Alistair and their whirlwind love affair. Lil's eyes twinkled as she remembered how they drove to North Carolina on a dare and eloped in a small chapel in the mountains months before their planned wedding. Pris's daughter Sylvia went to dinner with Larkin a couple of times. Larkin quickly discovered that they had very little in common. Sylvia was ambitious and abrupt, and Larkin found herself struggling to keep her side of the conversation interesting to her. Caroline and Sam picked up Larkin twice a week for a day of adventures. Sam was always full of information about wild animals and fictitious creatures and loved collecting shells on Kiowa Island. He gave even the broken ones to Larkin, as if they were diamonds, fragmented and tattered as they were. When Sam would finally pass out from exhaustion for his afternoon nap, Caroline and Larkin would talk for hours about everything from their capricious childhood to the downfalls of their relationships, past and present. Larkin told Caroline about her short-lived fling with Jackson Winslow years earlier, the burden of the secret somehow alleviated. Larkin began to appreciate her sister more than she ever had, finally understanding their difference as experience instead of hereditary. As it turned out, Caroline and Aaron had endured a great deal of marital strife early on. Living within a budget proved strenuous, even for someone as undemanding as Caroline. Aaron made it very clear that Bunny's monetary influence was not permitted, so Caroline took a job at a high-end ladies' boutique in town to offset her customary living expenses. Bunny begged Caroline to let her help them, but Caroline grew to love making her own money. Eventually, accepting that Aaron and Caroline wouldn't take handouts, Bunny found a way to persuade the store owner to sell the boutique to her, and Caroline became the highest-paid store manager in retail history. By the time Sam was born, Aaron's residential renovation business had taken off astronomically, much in part to Bunny hiring him for project after pointless project at the Ashby house. Bunny always found a way around the rules, but Caroline was more than happy to be a full-time mother, and Aaron accepted that Bunny was irrefutable. There are certain things you don't ever, ever have to think about when you grow up the way we did, Caroline told Larkin. This sounds ungrateful, but in many ways, I feel as though I was at a disadvantage. I feel like I became confident when I became self-sufficient, out of necessity, I guess. Larkin considered the idea of self-reliance and what it would be like to live independently of Ashby money. There was no denying she was a hard worker, but all of her work experience had been as unpaid internships, or worse, secretly funded by Bunny. Bart was gentle yet relentless in encouraging Larkin to find something she enjoyed doing. He saw how tirelessly Bunny worked to keep a busy social calendar for her when she wasn't with Lil or Caroline. Bart also saw how Larkin didn't know how to tell her no. Despite his loyalty to Bunny, he knew that Larkin needed to get out from under her thumb if she had a chance at a normal life. Because of her name alone, Larkin would always be taken care of, but becoming emotionally independent of Ashby money and social status under Bunny's reign was vital. Larkin had difficulty sleeping much past daybreak anymore, whether in her room or in the carriage house with Lil. She seldom dreamed about anything that she could remember the next day, but she would awaken with both her heart and mind racing, unable to stop the feeling of disorientation. 
Before the sun had melted through the fog that enveloped the harbor, hovering above the placid water, Larkin would go for a run through the battery, sometimes running for an hour before she had collected her thoughts enough to stop. By the time she returned home, Bart had coffee brewing and the morning paper placed on the kitchen table, job opportunities highlighted in yellow for Larkin. Most were outlandish manual labor jobs like deep-sea fishing vessel first mate or work-at-home opportunities promising takers to get rich. Bart's subtle sense of humor let Larkin settle into the idea of working again, and the daybreak routine became a welcome joke between the two of them. It infuriated Bunny that Bart would imply that Larkin needed anything more than what she could offer, though she never said anything. She would just wad up the newspaper after Larkin was done with it and throw it in the trash, leaving it displayed on top for visual evidence of her disapproval. Bunny considered canceling the classified section in the paper altogether since she owned over half of the posting courier, but quickly changed her mind when the board of directors informed her that it was the classifieds paying the staff salary. Lil thought it was a wonderful idea that Larkin wanted to work. Don't rush into anything, but I do think the right opportunity will be really good for you, honey, Lil said, encouraging Larkin over a tomato sandwich. Not that she would ever tell you this, but your mama knows deep down that it's a good idea, too. Lil winked at Larkin knowingly. There are only so many brunches and tea socials you can take before that pretty little head of yours might explode. I've seen it a hundred times. Maybe I should move away again, Larkin said. The thought alone stung. Well, if you do, just take me with you, Lil laughed. Larkin went back to the hospital with Lil on the days that she volunteered her culinary creations, but for liability reasons was assigned to tasks that didn't include knives or other sharp objects. Nurse Jenkins still had no news of any phantom doctor sightings, so embarrassed and annoyed at the same time, Larkin stopped asking about him. She began resenting him for not being more obtainable and decided officially to not care any more after she couldn't find any listings for a Dr. Miles in the business pages of the phone book. He was a phantom indeed. It was the first day of May, murky and shadowed with cloud cover, when Larkin woke up. The windows in her bedroom were covered with a sheet of water cascading over the balcony and closing her bedroom in a dark curtain. Hurricane season was at least a month away, but rain of this kind would settle in and stay, suspending over the harbor until a crescendo of light would pierce the clouds. She had felt it coming for days, the oppressive heat and humidity building up like steam in a pressure cooker. For only a moment, half cognizant in the unusually gray morning light, she could have believed that she was still in Seattle. It took only a moment to realize where she was and again how she had gotten there. She allowed herself to think about David long and hard, where he was, if he thought about her, if he felt remorse. She imagined him returning to the empty East Highland Drive townhouse, a tinge of pain greeting him when he realized she was gone, his face riddled with repentance for leaving, his knees buckling under the weight of his decisions. Larkin kicked off the covers and made her way to the desk at the edge of the room, overlooking the soggy landscape. She would write David a letter. In hopes of closure, she would even forgive him. She thumbed through her stationery, pulling out a cream-colored square cardstock with her initials embossed in chartreuse. Without much forethought, she began to write. David, there are so many things that I thought of saying. The truth is, though, there are not enough words to say them with, or enough paper to write them on, so I'll spare us both the misery. I've been waiting for what feels like forever to hear you say that you are sorry, but since you haven't, I don't suppose that you are. 
I'm actually fine without your apology. Simply put, I am where I should be. I almost want to thank you, but since that feels unnecessarily kind considering the circumstances in which I returned home, I will instead forgive you. And one day, when it doesn't sting so much to remember the details of your face or the way that you held your fork wrong side up, I will hope you are living a wonderful life. One day, maybe years from now, when you finally allow yourself to feel guilty and ask the inevitable question, what if, please know that I didn't waste as much love on you as I did ideas. When we first met, you told me that you didn't deserve me. You were right. For whatever it's worth, though, I would have gone on loving you forever, but it would have never been anything like the love that I know I want now. Larkin. She walked across the room to her nightstand, opening the drawer where she had tossed her engagement ring. She looked at the square, two-carat solitaire, realizing it was set too high and void of character. She tried it on her finger one last time before she slipped it into the linen envelope, sealing it closed along with the hopes it had once represented. The overcast sky had allowed Larkin to sleep in an hour later than usual, but it was still quite early. She tugged on the infamous cashmere hoodie and opened her bedroom door, walking quietly down the stairs. When she walked into the kitchen, she saw Bunny at the breakfast table, uncharacteristically slouched over a cup of coffee, reading through the day's classifieds that Bart had highlighted. "'Everything okay?' Larkin asked, stopping in the doorway. "'Yes,' Bunny replied dramatically. "'No.' She tossed her hands up in the air, letting them fall gently back in her lap. "'I don't know.' "'Did something actually happen?' Larkin asked. "'Or are you just depressed because it's raining?' She poured a cup of coffee and sat down. Bunny hated rain vehemently another reason she'd never understood Larkin's choice in moving to Seattle. No, no, Bunny stuck her lips out in a pout. It's just, are you happy here? I mean, did I do the right thing bringing you back home? What makes you think it wasn't the right thing? Oh, I don't know. You won't stop wearing that post-apocalyptic depression uniform for one thing, Bunny said, waving at Larkin's ensemble. I can smell the stench of heartache on you from here. Larkin pinched at the front of her hoodie, taking a subtle whiff. And you and Bart are always laughing and looking for jobs, and it makes me feel like you're going to spring out of here the first chance you get. And what if next time it's to some foreign land like Iceland or, I don't know, New York? You and your sister and Lil, you're all I've got. I'm not going anywhere, Larkin consoled her. And New York is actually not a foreign land, and I'd never move to Iceland. Larkin waved the envelope addressed to David in the air. I wrote him a letter. I told him that this is where I'm supposed to be. Larkin sighed deeply. And it's true, you know. This is where I'm supposed to be. If I didn't know it before, I know it now. Bunny's eyes watered. Really? So me dragging you back here? That was a good thing and I can stop feeling so guilty? Larkin laughed. Didn't exactly have anywhere else to go. Oh, stop it. Bunny wiped at her tears. I can think of worse places than here, like New York. Bunny took the envelope from Larkin, examining the lump from the diamond inside. Good decision, baby. You only keep the ring if they die. It's tacky otherwise. Bunny smirked, half seriously. I'll have Bart mail it for you. Pris knocked and opened up the back door simultaneously, tossing her umbrella to the side. Good morning, beauty queens, she said with trill enthusiasm. Have you seen it outside? It's wonderful. All my little plants are just going to grow, grow, grow. Pris flipped her hair over, colossal with humidity, shaking out the extra moisture. Rain or shine, Pris walked faithfully every morning. 
On days that Hank was out of town or already on the water, she would change her route to include a stop at the Ashby house. Pris poured herself a cup of coffee and plunked down at the table, letting out a satisfied sigh. Well, if it doesn't smell like gossip in here, she glanced from Bunny to Larkin, eyes twinkling with anticipation. So tell me what I miss. Well, Larkin has written a letter to you-know-who, Bunny said. So that's that. Oh, I see, Pris whispered. Well, she reached over and squeezed Larkin's arm. Proud of you, sugar. Hope you gave him what for. Larkin shrugged. I guess so. Oh, I almost forgot to tell you, Pris interrupted. Jackson got back last night, and he wanted me to tell you that he'll stop by sometime today to see what you're up to. Pris beamed with enthusiasm. I think we're driving him crazy at the house. Larkin felt a knot in her throat. Seeing Jackson again had unearthed ancient feelings of confusion and rejection, leaving her with the unpleasant taste of unforgiveness in her mouth. Bunny and Pris exchanged a glance when Larkin didn't immediately respond. Lark? Bunny asked. Did you hear what Pris said about Jackson being back? Yes, sorry, great. That sounds great, Larkin lied, nodding her head. And, Pris continued, I may have mentioned just accidentally that it's your birthday next week. Pris conspicuously winked at Bunny. Whoopsie. Larkin hadn't even thought about her 25th birthday, let alone made plans for it. What's the matter? You used to love your birthday, Bunny said through a whine. Yeah, when I had something to look forward to, Larkin said. Now I don't have anything, a fiancé, a job, a life. She looked down at the cashmere hoodie laying flat against her chest. Boobs. Pris and Bunny laughed. Well, all of that can be fixed, Bunny said, especially the boobs. Speaking of which, Bunny continued, I have a date tonight, if you can believe it, and I'm due for a dermal filler tune-up at ten. Larkin grimaced. Like Botox? Oh, honey, Bunny said. These days it's Botox and Restylane and collagen and butt fat and anything else they can find to make me look younger. I'm back on the market again, too, you know, and boy, competition is stiff out there. Bunny pushed back from the table, stretching. So who is it tonight, Mama? Pris asked. She glanced at the classifieds, looking confused when she read the highlighted ad for meatpacking plant assembly line worker. Larkin smiled at Bart's joke of the day. I have been asked to join a Mr. J.D. Hart of Boca Raton, Florida, for a romantic dinner and night on the town, Bunny said with a hint of flair. What's the J.D. stand for? Pris asked. I can't stand initials when I don't know what they mean. Well then, I'll be sure and make that our first topic of conversation, Bunny said sarcastically. Anyway, he's the real estate developer interested in that old lot in the low country, and wickedly handsome and single. So is this a date or a business opportunity? Larkin asked. Bunny shrugged. Same thing. Mrs. Bunny Hart does have a good ring to it, though. After everyone dispersed from the kitchen, Larkin immediately called Caroline and arranged to spend the day with her. She tried to hide the urgency in her voice as she peeked out the window, watching for any surprise attack visits from Jackson. Bart drove her to Edgewater Park, where Caroline and Aaron lived in a charming stone cottage that had been completely renovated. Sam ran out of the house and into the rain to greet Larkin. He wore Kermit the Frog galoshes and jumped in every puddle along the way, stomping vigorously and shrieking when the water splashed onto his face. Caroline didn't ask why Larkin needed to retreat to their house for the day. She was happy to have the company on a rainy Saturday to offset the attention of a bored three-year-old. Hours after Sam had gone to bed and Larkin thought it was safe to return home, Caroline drove Larkin back to the Ashby house. 
idling on the street in front of the illuminated house. Thanks for driving me, Larkin said as they stopped. Maybe I should get a car. Take one of Mama's. Nah, Larkin declined. She'll feel like she has the right to know where I am all the time. Well, I don't mind picking you up, and I'm sure Bart doesn't mind driving you around. It's really no trouble. Actually, Larkin said, I'm thinking I'll get a job, a real job. Bart's been helping me look. She looked out of the window at the water drops collecting on the glass. I always thought I would just fall into whatever it is I wanted to do, but that hasn't happened yet, and if I don't find something, I think it might get found for me. She pursed her lips together at the thought of Bunny's continued involvement with her day-to-day. What a great idea, Caroline answered. I'll keep an eye out, okay? The two hugged goodbye, and Larkin hopped out of the car, making her way to the wrought iron gate and climbing the marble steps leading to the front porch. It must have been past eleven o'clock. The street noise was padded by the gently falling rain, and the harbor was a still, black liquid surface reflecting what little moonlight shone through the bulky cloud cover. Larkin opened the front door, greeted by the stillness of a tranquil house. She steadied herself on the lion-head door-knocker, removing her damp shoes when she saw a note with her name on it folded in half and propped up on the credenza in front of the banister. Bird, sorry I missed you. My timing always seems to be wrong. I'll try again. Jax. Larkin took in a slow, deep breath and let out a frustrated sigh. Hey, love bug. Lil called from the formal living room. She was stretched across the cream suede sofa, taking notes while reading a biography on Julia Child. You get Jackson's message? Larkin walked into the room, holding the paper up. Yep, have it right here. He looked like he'd lost his puppy when I told him you were out for the day. Poor boy. Oh, too bad I missed him, Larkin winced, faking sympathy. Not on purpose, I hope. Lil studied her granddaughter's face. You know, sometimes we don't want what everybody else wants for us, and that's okay. Just don't torture him because of it. Oh, it's not like that, I'm sure. Just not sure why he wants to be friends now. Larkin felt a pinch in her chest. She'd always been so honest with Lil. Lying even a little bit felt wrong. She knew exactly what Jackson was interested in. Lil let out a deep, sleepy laugh. I love that you think you've got everybody fooled. It's kind of adorable, but really, Larkin, did you think that all this time nobody would find out about you and Jackson? This town is too small for that, or maybe this family is too small for that. I do find it very interesting that he came back home just a few weeks before you did, though. Maybe it's destiny or fate or something. Larkin felt lightheaded, like the room was suddenly spinning. Her cheeks felt warm, but she couldn't tell if she had turned ghost white or burning red. This complicated everything. The expectation everyone had for her and Jackson was suddenly realized. Bunny, Pris, Lil, they'd known about her and Jackson all along. Well, good grief, it's not the end of the world, you know. Lil patted the couch cushion beside her, motioning Larkin to sit down. It's just embarrassing, Larkin said, floppily joining Lil. That was a long, long time ago. We're not even the same people anymore. I mean, he practically fell off the face of the earth and now he just shows up and wants to hang out. Well now, Lil began in a soothing voice. From what Pris has said over the years, I don't think Jackson has had the easiest of times down in Alabama. It's been a real hardship on him to stay with that girl for so long. Sad situation for everyone, really. I think he's just looking for some familiar faces. Why does that have to be my problem? Larkin asked. 
I have plenty of problems of my own without needing Jackson Winslow's problems, too. Lil arched an eyebrow in consideration. Know what my problem is? Your mother. I mean, look at me. I'm an old woman sitting here waiting up for her to come home. She clucked in disapproval. This has been my problem off and on for decades. Lil craned her neck to look out of the window as a car passed by. I keep hoping she finds one she likes or doesn't kill so I can finally get some sleep, but here I am, once again, waiting up until the wee hours of the night, worrying over her is exhausting. Larkin leaned her head on Lil's shoulder. You can worry about me if you want to. Oh, you're the one I don't have to worry about, sugar. You already do that enough for God and everybody. Lil planted a kiss in Larkin's auburn hair. A silver sedan turned onto Trad Street pulling up in front of the Ashby house. Lil jumped up from the sofa, folding the throw blanket she'd had draped across her lap and grabbing her book and journal. Shoo, shoo! Lil waved her arms at Larkin, motioning her to move. Your mama thinks I'm trying to spy on her when I wade up. Lil smoothed out the creases on the sofa where she had been sitting. I'd get up those stairs quick if I was you. See you in the morning. Lil blew a quick kiss at Larkin and grabbed her book. She scooted her feet slyly across the living room, down the hall, through the kitchen, and out the back door, back to the carriage house. Larkin followed Lil's forewarning and quickly made her way up the stairs, reaching the top landing just as Bunny and Mr. Boca Raton opened the front door. Larkin was relieved when she closed her bedroom door before she had to hear if there was a goodnight kiss involved or not. After an unsightly encounter with Howard Holland in the West Wing Piazza during her freshman year of high school, Larkin generally avoided the practice of wandering around the house on Bunny's date nights. The image of Howard's rather hairy, rotund body still haunted her thoughts, and since he had been the family's pharmacist, Larkin suffered through multiple illnesses for the duration of high school without medical intervention. Larkin heard the ignition of Bunny's date's car turn over as she changed into her pajamas. After the Howard Holland incident, Bunny was always discreet with men in the house, but still. Larkin felt at ease knowing there was no one strange in her mother's bedroom for the night. The thought alone gave her goosebumps. She walked out of her bathroom, glancing at the note from Jackson that she'd placed on her desk, and stubbed her toe in the doorway. Shit. She looked down at her toe, the same ill-fated one she'd dropped the knife on all those weeks ago. She hopped to the bed, leaning closer to inspect the damage. For the first time, she noticed that not even so much as a mark was left from the knife blade and consequent stitches. The skin was pink from hitting the door jam, but the phantom doctor had been right about not leaving any scars. He'd also been careful to not leave any traces of himself. Larkin didn't know why she kept thinking about him. More frustrating than thinking about him was trying to figure out why she couldn't find him. She turned off the lights and wiggled into the covers. The rain outside had amplified again hitting the windows in confused, varying installments of pelting drops and melodic sheets. Larkin thought about the letter to David, Jackson's note to her, Lil's admission of everyone knowing their secret, and then she thought of Dr. Miles and the scar he had promised not to leave. Then she realized in a strange, hopeless way that he had left one anyway. Men always do. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of Southern Solstice Podcast. Check back next week for episode seven. If you'd like to get the book, visit iTunes or Amazon. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or by visiting my website, sarahsadler.com.